April's finally here, weather's getting warm, spring has definitely sprung, and boat ramps are open. How are you going to catch fish on your first outing of the year? We're going to talk about that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I appreciate it very much, guys. Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse also appreciates it very much. Of course, they're our longtime presenting partner of all things Fishful Thinker, including this podcast. So check out Sportsman's Warehouse on your next need for fishing tackle, hunting gear, camping, or whatever you might need, or visit them at sportsmans.com. Now, it's finally April. Uh, my home lake just opened for boating. There was actually ice on the lake right up until within two days of them opening the boat ramp and uh, finally got out. And, and it's that time of year where I get a lot of questions from people about putting their boat in water the first time of the year, where are they going to start, how are they going to start as far as locating fish. Another common one is I already went out, I didn't do any good, I don't know what, what I'm going on, blah, 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 I get questions about that. Um, so I thought I'd talk here for a little bit about how we go about getting our season started on the right foot. And a lot of that has to do with being very open-minded, for one, but also being very diligent in your observation, uh, for two. Because the first thing everybody wants to do on a on a new outing is, or on, you know, on a new season, is go out and just just wreck them right off the bat. Fish haven't been fished for very much all winter. Maybe some ice fishing or whatever, but they're at least in the west. A lot of the reservoirs are closed or iced over, so there's nobody out chasing fish with any. Uh, you know, serious impact on those fish, let's just say. And all of a sudden, they open the boat ramps and we hit the water. Everybody takes off in every direction and it becomes, how do we catch fish? And I want to back up a half a step and say this. My lake opened April 1st. I was out like everybody else in a brand new boat. I didn't do a tremendous amount of fishing. But the reason that's important that I did do a tremendous amount of fishing is the first thing you have to do at least from my standpoint, uh, on the first day in the water, is make sure everything in the boat works. And as much as I hate to say this out loud, and, and boat companies wouldn't want to hear it, and certainly boat dealerships don't want to hear it, but if you got a brand new boat over the course of the winter, uh, which I do almost every year, I'm on my 14th Ranger boat in 17 years of doing this for a living. Uh, I've gone through a lot of new boats, almost invariably, whether it be Ranger or any other brand, you are going to find some gremlins in your boat. And they might be very minor gremlins, they might be more major gremlins, but you're gonna find some gremlins. And I'm not talking about major stuff like a motor that doesn't run. Hopefully you, you listen to our other podcasts about getting your boat ready before you go to the boat ramp. But there's a lot of stuff you can't check at home or not easily anyway. And there's some stuff that's better done on the water anyway. So for instance, for me, I launched my brand new boat. I put one or two fishing rods in the boat. That's it, I think we had two of them total in the boat. Uh, the, whole, the whole day, really is dedicated more to making sure everything in my boat works. Because in the instance of a new boat, there's a lot of systems to test. And 
I mean, it could be everything from the live wells and bilge pumps to the lights, you know, the nav and anchor, nav and anchor lights to the internal lighting within the, the, the boat itself. Then it will get more complex. Are the graphs working correctly, the sonar units? And typical modern boats can have two or three sonar units in it. Are, is the network working correctly? Is everybody talking to everybody correctly in terms of sharing data? Do I have my devices set where I want so that I'm getting my temperature reading from where I want in the boat? I mean, my Ranger boat has four uh, thermos, or, uh, thermometers built into it, right? So which one am I reading off of? Um, you know, that little detail, which GPS antenna am I reading off of? If you've got Say you've got two sonar units with built-in GPS. Well, there's two internal pucks right there. In the case of my boat, I've got a, a Lawrence Point One directional GPS puck on the boat as well. So that's the third one. Then there's another one built into the ghost trolling motor. So that's four of them. So which GPS puck am I working off of? All of that stuff that's with a new boat, right? Is the full trim range working correctly? New motors all have digital trim. Um, is the you know the steering and everything been bled properly in the boat? Is the boat got an air bubble that they can't find at a dealership because they're not running the boat around enough? I mean, there's just a ton of nuances uh, in a new boat of things to check and make sure they work, and that includes everything on the trailer. Uh, when you know once you, once you've gotten the boat off the trailer, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff to it. So for me, I don't put a whole bunch of fishing tackle in the boat. And until I confirm that everything works. Once I know everything works, then I also go through and start doing all the setup in my new boat. And that's a big, big step, guys. That's a big one. Like I can maybe test all the systems in an hour on the water, just literally just going through a checklist and checking everything. Does the trolling motor full range? Does it launch and stow correctly? Does it have full turning range? Is there a cable binding anywhere? Anything like that, or all the lids and latches in the boat working like they're supposed to work. I mean, I, across the board, there's just so many things I couldn't even possibly go through all of them. But basically starting at one end of the boat and testing every single thing from one end to the other to make sure it works. The difference between a boat and a car is you go buy, let's say you go buy a Toyota Tundra, right? I just bought a Toyota Tundra. All Everything on that is basically designed as one big piece and uh, or one cohesive thing and built to work together. And of course, Toyota sources some parts just like everybody else, but it's just parts. But when you look at a boat, you've got somebody that manufactured the boat, then you've got another company that manufactured the sonar GPS electronics stuff, you've got another company that manufactured the steering system, you've got another company that manufactured the motor, um, you know, right on down the line. And so a different guy man manufactures the trailer even. So you've got a lot of people that are all trying to put products together. Um, and make them work cohesively. So that's in my opinion why boats are inherently less um, consistent when they're brand new. In the case of my new boat, two very minor things, no big deal, but still two things require a visit back to the dealership to be adjusted. And that's why I don't put all of my stuff in the boat right off the bat, because I don't want to put, I don't want to spend a day putting all my tackle in the boat and then find out I need to take it to the shop and get, get some work done. And like I said, in my case, it was two very minor things, but there are two things on this particular boat that will have to be addressed before I realistically can fish out of it very much. So that's why I didn't put all my tackle in it. But what I did do after I did the initial testing to find out what worked and what didn't is then I'll go through and start working out all the setup stuff, which is different than testing. Setting it up is what makes the boat your own. So 
For instance, in my case, all the screens on my sonar units, where, how do you like them set up? What, do, what information do you want displayed? Uh, what, how do you want the screen split? How do you want the speed keys set up, which give you instant access to a particular menu function, um, which is very handy? Uh, how do you gonna set those up? And if you have done this a bunch, you already know in your mind how you wanna do that. It's just a matter of going through the process but it takes some time. In my case with the Lorance units, I've got to import all the data because I have lots and lots of waypoint data. Get your chips installed in the boat, make sure that all of that stuff is done. Another big one is calibrating your GPS pucks, which you can't do, the dealership can't do that for you. They need to put it on the boat, put it on, or put it on the water, go drive it in a big giant circle at a specific turning radius and let the GPS pucks calibrate each other. Very, very important that you do that or your GPS won't be exact. And just for the record, <clears throat> you probably need to do that if you travel cross-country. Let's say you have a boat, everything works fine, you live in Georgia, and, and you drive to West Texas to fish. Well, now your GPS is probably off because of magnetic differences in the earth, so you'll have to recalibrate them. But it always starts with the new boat. Of course, they have to be recalibrated. Another thing that's really important is the speed keys on the trolling motor. The Lowrance Ghost that I use and several of the other manufacturers have them, they have speed keys on the trolling motor pedal as well. So in my case, I set one of them to, to put the power poles or the shallow water anchors up. Another one of them puts the, the anchors down. Another one is a constant on override. So I just step on that and it immediately goes to constant on at full speed. And then the other one is the anchor button for the, for the GPS anchor. But those speed keys, again, they need to be set up for your particular needs. Uh, another one that you need to set up is the keel offset in the boat uh, or the bow offset because your trolling motor is not mounted right in the center of the boat. So you've got to set that up. Again, that needs to be done on the water. So that's important. Uh, other things that need to be tested realistically on the water, like I said, are the pumps and the live wells. But if there's any setups for those, any speed keys you want for those, anything like that, you need to set those up as well. Um, once I've gone through all that and done the initial setup of how I want everything, then and, and I've confirmed everything that works, then and only then will I actually start moving my tackle into the boat and all my fishing gear. And for me, that starts with the stuff that has nothing to do with fishing and it ends with the stuff that is all about fishing. So in other words, the first things that go in the boat for me, uh, even before the original shakedown run of the boat even, are a toolkit because you gotta have tools in the boat, right? And a toolkit goes in the boat immediately always. And I use a very standard toolkit, it's relatively small. It's got a few things in it that you might not think about, like duct tape and electrical tape in case you have to limp something back to the boat ramp. Um, if your boat has fuse blocks, maybe extra fuse panels uh, or extra fuses, I should say, or something like that. But whatever you need in your toolkit, my toolkit's the first thing that goes in the boat. The very next thing that goes in the boat is always the first aid kit because uh, no matter how you look at it, fishing's dangerous. Knives, hooks, who knows, pinch yourself, whatever. And, you know, injuries happen. First aid kit goes in the boat. Uh, immediately, that has to happen. Um, the next thing that goes in, if the boat's not, especially in a new boat, or if you moved out of your boat and fall, the next thing that has to go back in is all of the safety stuff to make it legal. So, like for instance, when you get a Ranger boat, it comes with a fire extinguisher, but it's not mounted. Figure out where you wanna mount that thing and get it done. 
Uh, where do all the life jackets and throwables go? Uh, if your boat doesn't have a horn, do you have a whistle? All the stuff to make you legal uh, in your boat. And that stuff goes in next for me. And having done it a bunch of times, it's pretty easy. And I want to reiterate, if you, if you have a boat and you stored it with all that stuff in there, good for you. But now I would check that stuff and make sure a mouse didn't get in there and chew up your life jackets, which I actually had happen to me one time when I used to leave stuff in the boat over the winter. Now I don't leave anything in the boat over the winter because I know better. I've also had wiring chewed. So... Uh, you know, check anything that was left in the boat. Check the tire pressures on all the tires. Very, very important that you do all of that. And then after I've got all that stuff done, then I've got my, you know, my tools, my first aid, all that. Then I'll put all my tools for fishing in the boat next. And that's going to be my pliers, my little multi-tool. I have a little multi-tool that I keep outside of my toolkit that's just for tightening something quick on a reel or, you know, filing a hook point or whatever. I've got a little Berkeley multi-tool I leave in there. There's two or three sets of pliers, some line cutters, some, uh, you know, the basic tools you need, a pair of scissors. In my case, I always want a cigarette lighter and some shrink tubing in the boat because I do some rigging with that. That goes in with that little hand toolkit. Uh, all that stuff goes in the boat next. Uh, my hand towels, which I always have in the boat, so I can clip one on my on my uh, waist, and I have it immediately on my left side all the time. It's another piece, another thing, a comfort thing we've done on mentioned on podcasts before. Uh, that stuff will all go in the boat. Then I'll start in with tackle boxes of all kinds. And if you're a good Boy Scout, you would have worked on those tackle boxes over the course of the winter and made sure they're okay uh, in terms of organization. There's no rusty hooks. Everything's stocked, blah, blah, blah. All Again, there's a whole podcast if you look them up from us on that. Those things, in my case, are all taken care of over the winter. They just need to get moved in the boat. And now I also want to point out that how they go or where they go in the boat, as far as loading, those are the heaviest things you're going to put in your boat, with the exception of maybe your toolkit. And so all that weight needs to be thought as far as where it's going in the boat. In my case, I want all that weight running down the center line of the boat, if at all possible, because if you have, you're typically going to have two anglers in the boat. If all the heavy weight's running right down the middle of the boat, the boat's stable side to side. Along those same lines, I move all the heavy stuff to the very rear of the compartment and all the lightweight stuff to the front of the compartment so I'm keeping as much weight towards the back of the boat as possible. Now I will point out there are some boats that would like to have some weight up on the front of them uh, for various handling or you know performance things. Uh, Ranger boats are not that. They would rather have the weight in the back and that's how I organize my boat. But it's something I'm conscious of because I may alter that. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot. You say, well, it's 150 pounds of tackle. But anyone that's ever added a 150-pound person to, the, to your boat, you realize how much difference it makes in performance having another person. Same thing with your tackle. So that tackle's dense. Put it in the right place to make its best you know, balance in your boat. Very important. So I'll put all my boxes in. In my case, they're typically Plano 3,700 boxes for the overwhelming majority of the, of the tackle. Then I'll use some other boxes that are more obscure. In fact, I don't even know the, the, the actual model number. I mean, they're all Planos, but I don't remember the, the model number off the top of my head, but they might hold spinner baits or something like that. And they're a little bit more unique boxes, but all of that goes in the boat and all the plastics, uh, you know, all the Berkeley power bait and gulp and all that stuff. And again, that stuff is all heavy. So soft plastics try to go to the back of the compartment in my case, they go on either side of the heaviest of the boxes at the rear of the center compartment on the front deck. 
Then the very last thing that finally goes into the boat is all my fishing rods and reels. And the reason being is they're the most difficult to get in and out of the boat. They're fragile, they're expensive. I don't want them in until I'm comfortable with how everything else is in the boat. And then I'll go ahead and put all the rods and, and reels in the boat and then I'm ready to fish. So in my case right now, I'm in between that. Uh, I did do a little bit of fish and I really intended the bulk of this podcast to be about having a successful first outing more than, or first couple of outings and getting your season off on the right foot more than specifically addressing fish. But part of my setup of those GPS and sonar units and the, the, you know, the, the active target and all the other stuff that goes to live sonar, whatever you might have, all goes in your boat. Part of the setup is is real-world use on the water, which is why the dealership can't do a lot of that stuff for you. So for me, I will use the setup time that I'm spending on those graphs to also be looking at areas I expect to maybe find fish. Now, if you're, let's say you're an, an angler from within my region, you're dealing with water temperatures that are, say, 39 to maybe, maybe 50 degrees. Uh, most of the water I saw over the weekend was in the 40 degree range. So it's a safe bet. You're not going to have a whole bunch of real shallow fish. So you can spend the time you're using setting up your graphs, kind of loosely keeping an eye on what's going on uh, with, the, with the fish while you're doing it. And then while I'm spending all that setup time, I'm also learning fishing stuff at the same time. I'll also do the initial running and testing of the motor and the steering and the jack plate and the trim and the trolling motor and all of that. I will again do those in areas I expect to be productive or where I will real world spend time for fishing because then the time that I'm using testing the steering and the and all the stuff in the motor to make sure it's stable and, and there's no hiccups and anything that could possibly go wrong, I'm also using that time to scout out shorelines and see the condition of the lake or the condition of the cover or the weed beds coming up or whatever it might be applicable to your area. Um, very good use of your time to be able to multitask with, hey, I'm looking for fish or fishing conditions at the same time that I'm setting up my sonar and GPS units. And I feel like that that's the best use of my time. I was on the water on Saturday for like six and a half hours. I spent most of that time testing everything in the boat and then running around and setting everything up in the boat. And in so doing, I found several pods of fish that we were able to address as well. So I didn't you know, spend all my time working on the boat and then go run around all over the place looking for fish. I did both of them at the same time. So again, back to the preparation over the winter, most of your rods, reels, and lines hopefully got taken care of over the winter and got worked on. But if they didn't, then first thing I'm also going to do in the boat, uh, which is from past experience, I don't do it this way now, but I used to, everything in the boat gets picked up and cast a couple times to make sure you didn't put something away with a, with a kink in the line or a knot in the line somewhere down in there, or that the line isn't brittle or weird, or that there's no stickiness in the reel that occurred over the winter, or you know something got rusty, or something got loose, or whatever the case, test, test all the drags if you didn't do all that over the course of the winter. In my case, that all takes place in the shop over the winter. Uh, when it's cold and freezing out, I can stay in the garage and stay warm in the shop there and, uh, and get all my tackle ready. So by the time it goes in the boat, I know it's ready. But there is one difference. 
In my case, a lot of it is brand new tackle. So if it's not tackle I've fished with, I may have to play with it a little bit to get it where exactly how I want it. And that's a common thing with something like new baitcasters. Abba Garcia came out with all new baitcasters, and those baitcasters are slightly different to set up than the previous ones, regardless of which model it is. So now I have to go through and set them up and make sure that, hey, this this reel, okay, this feels good for, for this type of application. And most of my rods and reels are purpose dedicated. So uh, the rod, reel, and line are dedicated to either a specific technique or a specific range of techniques. So for instance, one of them I was setting up this weekend, uh, it's a rod and reel and line that I will dedicate to spinner baits and bladed jigs uh, and maybe soft swim baits. So uh, and may, maybe, maybe a, um, uh, you know, a, well, I shouldn't say a soft swim bait, but a few other things like that. Basically moving baits is what I'm trying to get out of here. I'm stumbling over my own words. But the bulk of it's going to be spinner baits or bladed jigs or soft swim baits that I'm going to throw on this particular rod. So... In that case, it's, it's the rod, the reel, and the line get put together. Then I set up the reel to make sure that it's within the rate, weight range of spinnerbaits I would like to throw. My spinnerbaits are typically right around a half ounce, so I'll put a half ounce bait on it, throw it around until I get a feel for the, the, the reel and make sure I have everything I set what I want, and then I'll put that one down. I'll go to the next rod. It's not relevant that a half ounce spinnerbait has nothing to do with catching fish right now in my lake. That's not a 40-degree smallmouth lure. But... I need that done so that when I hit the right condition, I pull out of the rod locker and, and tie a slobber knocker on it and throw it, it's ready to go. It's not a problem. I don't have to mess with it and mess with it and mess with it when I'm trying to fish. So that kind of stuff all gets done as well on my first day out. So again, if your tackle was not serviced or particularly if it was left in the boat, I would check every rod, reel, and line. Uh, and if I didn't do that with my boxes, I would check my boxes because I one time left a toolkit in the boat over the winter a boat that I kept over winter, which was really dumb to leave a toolkit in it. You think, well, it's in a closed compartment and it'll be fine. No, because moisture had got inside that box and that toolkit looked like a crazy science experiment because there was a small burlap bag in there that had some tools in it, or not burlap, but a canvas bag, and it molded. And it, the, the toolkit was basically unusable because it had a little bit of moisture in it. It sat there for four months over the winter and it got ugly. So if you left anything in the boat, check everything that was in the boat. And then the last thing is uh, make sure you got your licenses and your passes and stuff ready. Uh, the guy that I took with me the other day for my shakedown run, I asked him just on a whim, hey, you know, your license expired yesterday. You got your new license. It's April 1st, right? Oh, man, no, I forgot. And we got hung up for 15 minutes at the boat ramp while he's online trying to order a new fishing license because he forgot to get it. So don't be that guy. If you get a safety check first day in the lake and you don't have a fishing license, you're going to feel bad. So get all of that stuff done. Then I'm going to spend the last few minutes of this podcast finally talking about the only reason you guys probably listen to me at all, and that is because you want to catch fish. And I want to catch fish too, but I want to catch fish when I'm focused on catching fish. And so we went and really looked at, at a few things. Here's a couple things I'm gonna give you advice for for very first thing. If it's a lake you know well, uh, I would go, or lake you fish late in the year particularly, uh, before you put the boat away, I would go to where I last saw fish and start my looking there with my graphs or my fishing or however it is I'm gonna go start looking for fish. 
because typically the last place you find them in fall before they start deep into winter is very close to where the first place you'll find them in spring before they move up in the spring. So that's a very common thing. For the record, on my home lake, that's exactly what transpired. The last place I caught them in the fall, late in the fall, right before the boat ramps closed, I ran there, started testing stuff out. Actually, was testing the trolley motor at that point, but kept my eye on the graph, and sure enough, big pods of fish, same depth range and everything. I'm sure I didn't fish for them because it wasn't a fishing trip, but I can guarantee you I could have dropped a, a, a gliding jig on them and probably caught lots of them without a whole bunch of problems. So um, that's one way to check is just go right away to the last place you found them or the last two or three places you found them and see if you can find more of them there. Uh, in lieu of that, I would start looking at my conditions. So another thing, my particular home lake has water running in it right now. It doesn't always have water running in it this time of year. It does right now. It has water coming into it. It's artificially determined. A guy somewhere flips a switch and starts running a bunch of water into the lake. And because there's water in, coming in, I will immediately go check that area out as well because that fits a spring condition, especially it fits really any condition, but it really fits a spring condition. So I will go check that. Incidentally, I did that as well, and yes, there was fish there too. Um, if your home lake has an inlet, whether it was running in fall or not, I would go check it. If it's not running, I probably wouldn't worry a whole bunch about it. If you, one thing, another thing I'll throw out there, if you are very, on a very warming trend, in other words, my first day in the lake was on a slight warm trend, not a big deal, but if you've got a warmer than average couple day trend before you launch for the first or second time or first few times of the spring or first time in a new lake, whatever, along those lines, you may find some fish have moved shockingly shallow. And the book will tell you that a smallmouth bass in 40 degree water is gonna be on, a, especially when the main lake is crystal clear, He's going to be out on something steep or deep or suspended or dealing with wintertime stuff. It's 40 degrees. You need to float and fly, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff the book will tell you. But the fish that I found that were the biggest were in like six inches of water a uh, long ways from deep water up in a ditch. And the reason they were is because I'm quite certain the water was quite a bit warmer in there. Um, and those fish I know about right now are actually from the bank because I went and caught them from the bank. But I, because you can't even get the boat in there that shallow. But my point of that is you may be surprised at how shallow a bass or a trout or a walleye might get this time of year in very cold water. And these bass that we've been catching from the bank are in like no water at all. And you catch them with power fishing techniques and it's literally 40, 41 degrees and it's a power fishing game. Having said that, you can also go out on the main lake and catch average fish by the ton, fishing deep, like I already said, like I said, the schools that we found when I was testing out the boat. So you have to have the open mind. That goes back to the beginning of the podcast. You have to have an open mind and understand that any group of fish will do any one thing. A, a bunch of big smallmouth that pull up into really shallow water to feed, are, I'm sure, are there chasing 8-inch stalker trout that are in there catching all the bugs that are coming out of that shallow ditch. And so those smallmouth follow up in there and they're easy to catch and they're easy to swallow because they're a little trout right out of the hatchery and they're easy to catch. And so you have to keep an open mind about where you might find fish this time of year. It is not as black and white as some other areas and you don't really have enough memories to go on. Unless you've been fishing the same lake for many years like I have, you might have some good places to start. But still, even at that, I have to stay humble because 
the lake could be, on, by April 1st, it could be completely full or it could be 50 feet low or anywhere in between. Last year, on April 1st, when I put the boat in the water, the, the lake was 30, almost 30 feet higher than it is right now. So that's going to change where fish are. So I can't really fish memories per se, uh, but I can fish concepts. Like, for instance, fish sneaking up in that ditch to, to take advantage of a feeding opportunity. Keep an open mind and fish that way. <coughs> Another thing I recommend in the springtime is fishing with as much multi-species lures as you can. Uh, biggest reason for that is you, you're going to find a mix of species. So you might find trout, walleyes, and smallmouth bass in the same spot in my home lake right now. Very commonly, in fact, you'll find that. So multi-species lures, lures that are well-known to generate bites from a lot of species are good. Because keep in mind, the trout, they're giddy in 40-degree water, 45-degree water. They don't have any problem with that. The bass are, are, on the other hand, completely lethargic for the most part, particularly the ones on the main lake. They're very slow to move around. And the walleyes are somewhere in between and might not be thinking anything about anything other than making baby walleyes, so, which is exactly what they're thinking about in my home lake. So you got to keep all of those things in mind, which is why uh, I say fish with an open mind. The other thing I think is fish a lot of different styles of stuff. Fish a couple of flat banks, fish a couple of deep schools of fish, fish a couple of boat ramps or a couple of dams, but try to mix up the style of stuff you're fishing until you locate consistent fish. For me at this time of year, it's not about sitting on one school of fish and beating them up. It's about finding as many schools of fish as I can so that I can keep track of them as the season progresses. So if I can find some shallow smallmouth in one area of the lake and some rocky walleyes in another area of the lake and a couple groups of deep smallmouth here and then trout feeding in this cove, well, the more of that I can pin down in the first couple days on the lake, the better my first couple outings are going to be because I have the most knowledge. If I sent on, sat on one spot and caught 30 fish there, well, that's great. I had a good time. I beat those fish up, but I didn't learn anything else about the lake. So that's why I'm an advocate of spend a few minutes in a spot, catch a fish or two, and go if you're in it for the long haul. If you're never going back to this lake or whatever, you just want to beat up on fish, fine. Sit on that school of fish. But if you're looking at the big picture of saying, hey, for the rest of April, I want to be consistent, then find as many of them as you can while you're doing all the other stuff in your boat uh, or in the last you know, couple hours after you try everything in the boat. So very, very important. Last thing I'm going to throw out there, um, this time of year, if your boat is, even if your boat is stored in an uninsulated shop or building, make sure you drain everything well. There's no question that my, my area is going to be way below freezing for still another month. So make sure you get everything drained out of the boat. If you're a, you know, a Colorado, maybe you're a Denver guy, not too far from me. Guaranteed you're going to get frozen again. You, you might have fished over the weekend, and it was beautiful, 60 degrees, but now it's going to be blowing 40 miles an hour and three inches of snow tomorrow. Uh, if you left water in the live wells or water in the bilge pumps, they're not going to be happy. Make sure everything got drained. So I will flip the switch on and pump them dry for a quick second. Just It doesn't take long. Just make sure it's pumped out of the... The drain itself, or out of the pumps themselves, make sure the motor itself is drained. Very important, or you will crack stuff uh, if your boat is not sorted in, in an insulated or heated garage. So, rambled a bunch on this podcast, guys, because it's kind of a lot of stuff to deal with. And I, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. Also, I want to apologize. This podcast is two days late from what it's supposed to be. Uh, we had big wind here around my house and had no power for most of the day on Friday or had had power on and off for most of the day. I was not able to get this recorded for you guys on Friday, but it's just as well because I launched the boat Saturday morning. And it made me think of more stuff to, to do. So 
If you're a regular listener to our podcast, you will catch another one on Friday. We will do two this week, one on this Monday and one on Friday, as opposed to every Friday like we normally do. And I hope you subscribe and catch all of them. I would appreciate it very much. Fishful Thinker is a labor of love, whether it be Fishful Thinker's uh, YouTube channel or on television at World Fishing Network or Altitude Sports Entertainment. Could be uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, wherever, at Fishful Thinker. We'd appreciate you guys tuning in. So this has been... Fishful Thinker, the podcast.